Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, how much of your money should you keep in cash? Should you buy VBK, the Vanguard Small Cap Growth ETF? In this grab bag of an episode, we're talking about asset allocation and asset location, the pros and cons of the Roth 401k, Medicare, spousal and survivor social security benefits, tax-saving charitable giving, small business strategies, and who qualifies to be called Joe Anderson's peer, and whether you'd rather hang out with a James or a Jimbo. Ask your money questions and get all of today's free financial resources and the full episode transcript in the podcast show notes. Get there on your phone by clicking the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app. On a desktop computer, visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click listen to podcasts. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Maggie from Iowa. She writes in, Dear Andy. She's top billing. Yeah, she is. You guys better watch out. Yeah. Alan Joe. I'm last billing. Thank you, Maggie. I think I'm going to skip this question. Save All right. The best for last. Come we on, got Alan. Michael from Ohio <laughs> writes in. Uh. He's the one that called you a oh, great one, so that's, no wonder. Yeah, that's why you want to do that one. So Maggie writes, hello from Iowa. Well, hello back. Thank you for the podcast. I have learned a lot from it. My 17-year-old son listens to it as well. He's thinking about being a financial planner after college. All right. Very good. That's a good career path. Question. What percentage of total net worth do you recommend to be in cash? Most of our tax advantage investments have zero cash, mostly stocks and a tiny bit of bonds. I'm just wondering if I am cash heavy or about right. Background if needed, because I've listened enough to know you sometimes need more information. All right. Well, thank you very much, Maggie, for yeah, the information. Yeah, we got like four bullets here. Okay. Uh, my self-employed husband makes $70,000 a year before self-employment taxes. We contribute $14,000 annually to our Roth IRAs. He has a retirement account through his business. Our expenses are about $55,000. I want to keep at least thirty k for an emergency fund. His retirement account is $420,000. Roth IRAs are $200,000 and $254,000 mine. We have college savings of 112000 in 529 plans. 150 k in a brokerage account, 10 k HSA. 120000 cash in CDs with high interest checking. High CDs, 3.43. In lowest is 2.5. When I take out college savings and HSA from the equation, I figure we are about 10.7% in cash. We're 56, and I'm a stay-at-home mom. College savings is enough for my youngest son to make it through college debt-free. I look forward to your answer. All right, so Maggie's curious yeah. about her asset allocation. How much cash is too much? And I'm guessing she's equating CDs as cash. I think so. Okay. And so she's got CDs that are paying 35 and 2.5%. It's pretty good. That's really good. Right? Uh, that's a good bond. That's like a, a bond. I would, I would sort of count that as a bond. I mean, that's my first comment, is that's that's a great rate. So I wouldn't even count that as cash. Well, it is. I know, but I wouldn't. So you got to count it. That's her question now. I, but I wouldn't for purposes of, of, her, of this computation. So I'm going to answer it this way, and you can chime in, Joe. So I think the first thing you want to have is your emergency fund, which you want um, $30,000. We recommend six months to a year, so you're, that's, that's below your spending. You know, that's, that's, that's about maybe seven months of spending, so that seems fine. The second thing I would do is I would keep in cash any monies that you want to designate for something in the near term. By near term, I mean in the next, say, three years. Yep. 
you know, like vacations, like home improvements, like buying a motorhome, like New car. whatever, right? So you keep that in cash. I would invest everything else. But when I say invest everything else, I, I actually, your, the CDs are pretty high earnings. So I think I would consider that an investment. That's how I look at it. Yep. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. What I would look at, though, um, outside of your cash reserves of $30,000 and whatever ancillary expenses that you have, one of the things people make mistakes on is where they're keeping their CDs, right? So 56 years of age. So if you're looking to say 10% in cash, right, but your cash reserves, let, let, let's, let's just say $50,000 or $100,000 keeping cash. Yeah. Right, so that's going to cover emergencies, opportunities. Plus it's going to something yeah. you sure. know. Sure. I think with the amount of assets that they have, put a hundred thousand dollars in cash, keep it in your um, high interest paying CDs, okay, um, that are liquid. Yeah. Maybe thirty thousand in checking or savings, and then the rest in the CDs. Right. If you like these CDs that you have ten percent in, be careful of where you hold them. You would rather have them in the retirement accounts. So if you have an IRA, go to the same brokerage house or you can go to the same bank or something like that and still buy these brokerage CDs that you're purchasing, but just put it in your retirement account because it's kicking off high interest that you're not necessarily spending. You're just reinvesting it and it's adding to your tax bill. I'd much rather see stocks or asset classes that are a little bit more volatile in the brokerage account. So they might look at it, hey, I have $400,000 in my retirement account, I have $200,000 in Roths, um, she's got another two hundred fifty thousand. So call it four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars in retirement accounts. Two hundred in Roth and one hundred fifty in a brokerage. So in your retirement account. So if outside of that, she's also have these other CDs and things. I would look at it to say put the CDs and bonds in lower, um, I guess appreciated assets in the retirement accounts and keep your higher appreciated assets outside of the retirement accounts. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, and and so just to be clear. If the hundred thousand is the right number in cash, that's outside of retirement, right? That's separate from what you're talking about. But everything else should be fully invested, and if, and CDs paying this much could be considered like a bond. Of course, I, yeah. I'm fine with that. But uh, they do produce ordinary income, and so you'd rather have your stocks in your non-retirement account because those are subject to capital gains. That's a much better tax rate. And you don't necessarily want as many stocks in your retirement account because when you withdraw the money, it's all ordinary income anyway. So you're just being smart on where you put your assets. Well, here's what we see is that, all right, Maggie's got a brokerage account. Let's call it $150,000. But then they start accumulating cash. Sure. And so what do they do with that cash accumulation is that they buy CDs. They don't put it in the brokerage account. It's like, well, how the heck did you get the brokerage account to begin with? Well, it might have been a stock option plan, and, or it could have been an inheritance. It could have been wherever. Where we rarely see someone put like a, a, a monthly investment, a systematic investment into the brokerage account. So they build up cash, and they're like, well, what should I do with this cash? Let's just buy CDs. Versus investing it like you're doing in your brokerage account. Another reason why I think people do that is that they might have a brokerage account and they're just playing with it. They're trading stupid stocks or or you know, this is my trading account. Well, that should be separate as well. And only have like 5 bucks in that because you're probably going to lose it. 
Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, no, I agree with all that. And I, and I think you're right. Typically, we see people do it exactly that way. They've got their, their safest assets that are producing ordinary income in their brokerage account, non-retirement account. Yeah, or got, it's usually in a checking or savings yeah, account, right? right. And their and their highest growth stocks in their retirement account, which is all so virtually all of their income is subject to ordinary income in the future based upon where they have their assets located. Because if you think about it, you have one let's say investment you have $10,000 that's in stocks and over the next 10 years hopefully that doubles to 20,000. Right? Wouldn't you rather have that Outside of a, a, a retirement account where you can have a lower tax rate on that growth? Yeah, so it's it's all about keeping more of what you're making, right? Not just the amount you're making, but what you keep. Wow, that but was that, so wise. That was amazing, wasn't it? <laughs> was, Seems like I've heard you say that. <laughs> Did you say that? It's not what you earn, it's what you it's keep? That's, that's what I was trying to say, but it came out funny. Got it. We got Daryl from Ohio. I'm Daryl from Podcast 248. Oh, okay. Hey, yeah. Weren't we talking about... Daryl and my other brother, yeah, Daryl. Larry, Daryl. Larry, yes. Larry Daryl. And he and actually references that. All right. Oh, good. Okay. So, hey, Daryl. Welcome back. Um, you're doing a great job. Oh, thank you, Daryl. Thanks, Andy, Joe, and Al. I'm planning to put cash into a taxable account from cashing out life insurance and selling my house. I've heard that I should use funds with less taxable events like ETFs and index funds. Someone, your peer, Josh, from Heritage Wealth Planning, uh, Daryl, I don't know who Josh is from Heritage Wealth Pit. Yes, but he's one of your peers. I, no, I don't maybe, believe so. Maybe not. <laughs> I don't believe so. What is a peer? Somebody that is the same level equal? as you, does the same equal? thing as you. Come on. Oh, great one. <laughs> oh, that was equal to you. <laughs> There's a lot of people out there that call themselves financial advisors or financial planners, and basically they sell crappy products. And so, some are, and some we would say are not. Uh, but no, I don't know Josh from Heritage. Hopefully he's a good guy. And now I just gave Josh a, a huge plug. And when Everyone go check him <laughs> out. Do business with him. You want to tell, say his business again? <laughs> <laughs> um, Heritage Wealth Planning. Oh, very good. Um, he suggested VBX or v- VBK. VBK. Sorry, I'm a little dyslexic. On Morningstar, it had low expense ratio and a good 15-year return. When I look at the distribution, it shows zero capital gains, but income of a little over a dollar per share per year. Is that good? If not, how would one evaluate a fund for a taxable account? Is the income reported on 1099-DIV? P.S. My wife and I are both 52, and I do have two brothers. <laughs> oh, he did talk. You're right, Danny. Oh, all right. Thanks, Daryl. So, I don't know. What do you think, Al? Well, let's see. I don't know too much. I, I assume that's a Vanguard fund. BBX? Yeah. Is that a good guess? <laughs> BBK. BBK. That's twice. <laughs> anyway. He really wants it to be BBX. I know. Well, most <laughs> funds end in X for some a- reason. Anyway, ETFs and index funds tend to be more tax-favored than, say, actively managed mutual funds. I agree with that. And and so, But, but whether it's an ETF or an index fund, they are going to have a capital gain distribution, I mean, by definition, at year end. So you can't avoid it altogether. But there's less of that in those types of funds because the fund manager is not buying and selling and trying to time the market. So I, I, I agree with that general premise. And the income that comes to you, uh, it's, it is on 1099 DIV, dividend. And it's, there's really three different categories. There is um, 
ordinary income, or ordinary dividend, I should say, which is the total of dividends. Of that, you have qualified dividends, which are taxed at capital gains. And then there's a yet a third kind that stands on its own. That's a capital gain dividend, which shows up also on the 1099 dividend, or DIV. Uh, and that is as a result of the fund manager uh, buying uh, and selling uh, positions with inside the fund. So VBK is Vanguard Small Cap Growth ETF. Yep. <clears throat> Why, why is he recommending just one fund? Here, you got non-qualified, you hate dividends, <laughs> buy small cap growth. <laughs> First of all, small cap growth is one of the worst performing asset classes that you can purchase. Um, I would go small cap value if you wanted to go small cap um, because you're paying for added risk that you're not getting compensated for per um, academic studies, not Joe Anderson. Yeah, Now, and let me just clarify, that's based upon decades of historical research. Correct. That, that's not our opinion. That's just what, what history has shown us. Correct. Uh, and, and then it turned into my opinion. Yeah, which we wanted to clarify. You <laughs> After know, you know. read something that you agree with, then it turns into your own opinion, I believe. We don't have opinions on stocks. <laughs> well, I don't have a recommendation. We can have an opinion if it's dog, doo-doo. Uh, but I'm not saying I love Vanguard, and, but if I, I don't know why he would do this. So... Um, it depends on how much money that you're putting in here, Daryl. You want a globally diversified portfolio. You want to have asset classes that are outside of retirement that have a higher expected rate of return. Uh, and you want to be tax efficient. So, yes, you want to go ETFs. You want to go index funds. Uh, but you don't have to get in the weeds here by looking at, okay, the what dollar they're distributing per share. If it's an ETF or an index fund, it's going to be very, very low unless it's multi multi million dollars and then you're just going to put it into one fund anyway that doesn't make any sense well so. and of course we don't know the rest of the story maybe there's other investments in other accounts and and who knows right maybe maybe Josh followed your advice and he's got the more risky asset class in the non-retirement account he's got the safer ones in the retirement account Josh is the my peer that I don't know that yeah. I don't really care for right now yeah but that's who Daryl that's who Daryl is listening to got it okay. yeah anyway. so uh, but yeah you're on the right track you got uh, I, yeah, I think, I mean, just... Sit, sit. And, and you can't look at past performance either. So here's what people do. They pick investments or they collect them. So let me look at this particular fund. Let me look at the track record of this fund. You have to look at the asset class. Do you want small cap growth or small cap value? Do you want large cap growth or large cap value? Do you want international growth or value? Emerging markets, small, mid, large. I mean, those are the asset classes. That's the broader steps that you need to take. And then you can narrow it down into what vehicle that you're going to use to provide you with that diversification given that asset class. And so, yeah, if you want small cap growth, then buy VBK, right? That's that's cheap. It's tax efficient, but don't start there. You know, if some guy is talking about let's let's analyze this mutual fund and let's open up Morningstar and blah 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 blah. That's all past performance. It doesn't mean anything about what's going to happen in the future. So you're saying, hey, I got a ten percent rate of return over the last fifteen years. That means nothing, zero. It could lose thirty percent over the next ten years. So. Hopefully that helps. Thanks a lot, Daryl. Uh, tell Bob Newhart we said hello. Anna from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Can you please talk about Roth 401k advantages and disadvantages and who should use them? Okay. I have a 401k plan with a Roth option, but I'm currently contributing to the regular 401k. My employer matches $50. Yep, 50 bucks. Anna, maybe get a better employer. <laughs> 
and don't know if I should start utilizing the Roth option. I have a Vanguard IRA with roughly $450,000, a Vanguard Roth with about $138,000, 78K in a TIAA account, $20,000 in the 401k, and $750 in a 457 plan that I just found out I could contribute to. I'm 49 years old, earned 60K from my job, an additional 20K uh, from my sole proprietorship. I'm now able to max out my Vanguard Roth every year, put an additional $750 a month into the 401k and 457, and my employer puts 10% of my salary into my TIAA. TIA. I expect my taxes to go up in retirement, and my financial advisor has said that I should start doing Roth conversions, but to also keep contributing to the 401k 457 as I am now. My question, if I'm going to do a conversion, then shouldn't I also be putting the 401k money into the Roth option? Otherwise, aren't I just moving out tax-deferred money that I'm partially putting right back into another qualified account? Okay. Um, Thanks for the question, Anna. So... (laughs) She wants to do Roth convert, or the the advisor is telling her to do Roth conversions, right? So, but he's like, "Hey, keep putting the money into the four hundred one k four fifty seven plan pre tax and do conversions." So she's like, "Well, what's what's why? the difference? Yeah, why don't I just put it in the Roth and do less of a conversion?" I guess it all depends on how big of a conversion that the recommendation is, mm-hmm. because there's limits to the amount of money that you can put into the Roth four hundred one k. But here's pros and cons. I think before the Jobs Act, we would recommend the same advice that the advisor is giving because you could recharacterize. If you did a Roth conversion before, you could say, you know what, never mind, let's put it back into the IRA. But now it's irrevocable. So do you put 19000 into the Roth 401k or convert 19000 it, It's not going to make a difference. At all, it's the same thing. Yeah. So theoretically, and that's the, I I would say that advice holds true if your income is steady and predictable. But here's when you still might want to do a Roth conversion over the Roth 401k because, let's say your income changes at some point throughout the year and you're in a higher tax bracket than you thought. If you've already put money into the Roth 401k, you can't do it. You can't undo it. It's it's in the Roth side. But if you wait till December to do your Roth conversion, then you have a full year history to know exactly what tax bracket you're in. So you have a little bit more certainty. Um, the Roth conversion versus, I mean, it depends. Let's say she wants to do a $50,000 conversion. Well, you're going to put 19 thousand into the Roth 401k and you're still going to convert 30 grand. No, I understand. It's it's same same. I, I agree with that. I'm saying if you want to do $50,000 conversion, however you, whether it's conversion or part contribution it doesn't matter, but what if you get a $300,000 bonus? Right. Then you don't then you don't want to do that. You you would have rather had the deductible uh, deductible 401k. So that's all I'm saying is it gives you a little bit more flexibility to do the conversion and you do that towards year end. But in her case it it sounds like she's working for the government, probably the income is steady. So she could it probably doesn't matter Anna for you whatever you you want to do. Um, it's easier 
I'll tell you this. If it, it's easier to do the Roth 401k because th- th- there's no transaction. You're just ch- checking a box and then all your contributions are going on the Roth side of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A conversion, there's a little bit of work to do. Plus, the other good thing about the Roth 401k uh, contribution is you, you're having tax withheld as you go. Yeah, you're not going to get a tax bill in yeah. April fr- yeah. from the conversion. So I kind of like that part. So I, I think it depends. It's it's the same outcome regardless. Yeah. So really, if you don't like the four hundred one k plan and you have investments that you like better in an IRA, well then, yeah, do the conversion. But um, but I think the I mean the the basic answer is it doesn't matter because you end up in the same spot. But those are some pros and cons of doing one over the other. Asset location is another thing as well, Anna. So in Roth accounts, you probably want to have, especially at age forty nine, you want to have more aggressive type stocks in your Roth or asset classes that will give you a higher expected rate of return. Um, and so if your 401k plan, I don't know if you can segregate the Roth option versus the pre-tax on how those are being managed versus like, let's say you have $100,000 in your 401k plan, 25000 of it is Roth and $75,000 is um, regular pre-tax. If your 401k will allow you to say, I want the Roth portion, the 25% of the Roth portion in this particular asset class, and then the 75% in all these different asset classes, then it doesn't necessarily matter. But what we've seen is that you want to say, I want 25% of my 401k in this account or in this fund. I want 25 in this fund, 25 in this. And they're not going to separate the Roth from the pre-tax. So you really can't get that true asset location. So maybe doing a conversion might be beneficial there, too. Where you have more control over the investments. I agree with that. That's a good point. Asset allocation and asset location are related, but they are very different. One is based on how much risk you're willing and able to take in your portfolio based on your goals and other factors, while asset location, that is, what types of assets you hold in which types of accounts, may help you save a whole bunch of money in taxes. Check the podcast show notes for some resources about both, including episode 262, which was predominantly on the topic of asset allocation. I've also thrown in some more Roth 401k info as well. If you have money questions, comments, suggestions, or if you just want to see if you can make Joe cranky talking about his peers, click Ask Joe and Al on air in the podcast show notes and send us your message as a voice recording or as an email. And don't forget to click that share button and spread this nonsense far and wide. All right, uh, we got a, a letter that came in, Bill from Carlsbad. If my wife and I file a joint return, will her Medicare pr- uh, payment go up relative to our combined income? If so, will her Medicare payment be relative to only her income if we filed uh, separately? Uh, interesting question. Yeah, there, it is Bill. an interesting question. So Medicare premiums are based on modified adjusted gross income. Right. And as you breach certain thresholds, your Medicare Part B premium increases. And it starts at. So for a. Do you need your glasses? I do. Your eyes just, just buzzed out on me there. Well, I'm just <laughs> blinking to try to see it, see if I can read without. They are right next to you, you know. I, I know, but it's too hard to put them on. <laughs> because I got this headphones. Oh, got on. it. You know how that it. works. Yes, yes. So, so for uh, this is for 2018, so we're already a year. No, that's 2020. Oh, oh, that. What am I doing? 
You're lo- look, what's the Medicare premium? The, me- the Medicare premium, uh, is the lowest one's $144.60. And what income threshold is income that? Income from 2018 income, 87000 or less for single. For married, finally joined, 174000 Okay. So they look back a couple of years on your income to determine what your premium is. So they'll look back to see what your 2020 premium is. is $164, right? But your income threshold for 2018 needed to be below... Once I'm sorry, one seventy four. Yeah, one one hundred seventy four thousand. So Bill's question is, is that his wife probably has low income, Bill has high income, or vice versa? But since he's worried about her premium, he's thinking, hey, is this based on a if her income W two wages, let's say, is twenty thousand and mine is six hundred thousand? My premium would be a lot higher than hers, so she would be at a low threshold. Bill would be at a high threshold. How about if we just file separately? Would that give her the lower Medicare premium payment moving forward? Yeah, it's a great question. What's the answer? I would say no. <laughs> I don't know 100%. And, and the, the reason I don't know 100% is because every table I ever see has single and married filing joint. We don't have a... I mean, the the IRS would look at that and say, no way. It's just like, you know, they don't care for merely filing separately for Roth contributions. For almost everything. For almost everything. Yeah, I I would agree with you. It's just that we don't know that 100%. Right. We we need to fact check that. Yeah, we do. (laughs) We do. So we think probably married filing joint is the best way to go. Well, I think unless you get a divorce. Sure. Then then you file single. Then you can go single. But if you file separately... Um, you, I'm, I'm going to say no, Bill. I'm going to say no too, but we're not 100 percent sure. All and, right. Andy well, Alan, Alan's going to do some research on that, and then um, <laughs> he'll give it to Andy, and she will send that to you. Yep. I can do that. We got Tim writes in uh, once again from San Diego. So I think he had a question on spousal benefits or survivor benefits or something like that. Spousal um, benefits. Spousal yeah. benefits. Okay, and we answered that. We answered the question. And Andy sends like a, a long love letter and the response of us. Yes, right. So a if you, so all these questions that we answer, you, you get a nice letter from Andy yeah. uh, with our response. And so Tim got his, and then he's like, thank you. I appreciate the response. Uh and then I now know that my spouse will get 50% of what I would receive if I took it at my age 66, even though my amount goes up 8% each year after I turn 66. So he was thinking, hey, if I'm going to wait till age 70, have my wife claim the spousal benefit at her full retirement age, what number does she get? Right. Does she get my increased number because I waited and we said, sorry, Tim, no, she gets 50%. Of your full retirement age benefit. That is correct, and and it's adjusted for inflation, right? right. So, but yeah, that's essentially right. What what your sixty six age benefit, your your spouse would get half of that. That's the spouse. No benefit. matter when Tim claims his benefit, it's going to matter when his wife claims the benefit. True. But she has to wait till full retirement age. Yeah, she could claim it earlier, but then she has a reduced amount. You got it. All right. So then he writes in. I don't know if this is the correct form to ask, but it occurred to me. Now, as I was calculating the estimate, the estimated amount we would get, if something were to happen to me, would her benefit jump up to 50% of the higher amount I was getting, 
or stay at the already 50% amount I would receive at my age 66. So what he's saying now is that, okay, I'm waiting to age 70 to get that 8% delayed retirement credit. Right. And so my wife claims the benefit. She's getting 50% of my full retirement age benefit. She doesn't get 50% of my increased benefit. So he goes, if I die, what does she get now? Does she get 50% of the higher amount? And the answer, Tim, is a lot better than that. She gets the full amount of the higher benefit. Yeah, she gets your benefit. She your gets, age 70 benefit. Yes. yes. Yeah, cool. So it pays to wait. So Tim was like, he at first he was probably upset. Right. He's like, you know what? I waited. Well, probably wasn't upset, but was like, okay, I waited to age 70 because I thought my wife was going to get a higher spousal benefit. So now I have a lot higher benefit. I waited to 70. I was thinking my wife would get a higher benefit too. But then he's like, okay, it is what it is. Then he's calculating some morbid stuff. It was like, if I die, well, maybe then it increases to 50% of the higher amount. And the answer, Tim, um, is no, she gets your benefit. So that's a different kind of benefit, Tim. That's called a survivor benefit, calculated completely differently. So that that's that's your benefit that you had or her benefit, whichever is higher. That's what she gets. But we get this question sometimes, Joe. Let's say let's say husband or wife is waiting to age 70 so that the survivor gets a higher benefit. But what if they pass away at age 68 before they even take the benefit? Um, Did I stop well, you? No, because I was reading the next question oh. because it was on a 529. <laughs> so in other words, he wasn't listening to you. Huh? <laughs> I was totally not listening. So ask him the question well, again. <laughs> All right, so 68. So if he waited to 68 or it didn't take the benefit at he, 68? He didn't. He didn't. Yeah, correct. He didn't take it at 66 because he wanted to wait till 70. So he, he, but he, but he, but he dies passed, at 68. Passed, passed so what's 68. his possible benefit the, or the survivor benefit would be his um, age. They would make it that he claimed at the age that he died. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I think people need to know that. So in other words, in that example, it's not the it's not the full retirement benefit. It's the it's the benefit with 8% added for a couple more years, right? So they basically assume that it was basically claimed at time of death. You got it. All right. Susan was on your money or wealth.com. She wrote in. She's from North County, San Diego. She goes, "My husband 69 and I 63 have a disagreement on spousal social security benefits." He is still working and will take Social Security until he's 70. Okay, so he's going to hold off till 70, Al. Okay. I don't have earned income. He says that I could claim 50% of his increased benefit when he starts taking Social Security at 70 and I reach my full retirement age. Well, I'm under the impression <laughs> that I would get 50% of the benefits he would have received at his full retirement age not the increased amount he will receive at 70. I have been receiving survivor benefits since age 60, like most wives. I like to be right. <laughs> I went to one of your guys' two-night classes and listened to as many podcasts as I can. You guys are informative and entertaining. Thank you very much. Uh, well, Susan, you are absolutely correct. Um, you will get 50% benefit of his full retirement age, not his increased benefit. So... Yes, you are right. Your husband is wrong. And it's it's his full retirement age benefit, 50% of that indexed for inflation. Right. So it could be slightly higher amount than he had at 66. Question. But this is weird, too. She's, she's like, receiving survivor benefits, though. How well, does that change things? Well, he's alive. So this, yeah, so previous husband. Yeah. Yes. But when I read that, she's like, 
I'm receiving survivor benefits since age 60, like most wives. No, there's a period there, Joe. I know. I did. I was like. <laughs> and you didn't read it. And I was going, wait a minute, what? <laughs> most wives get survivor benefits. Yeah, I was like, well, who do you hang out with, Susan? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's like a string of murders up in North County, San Diego you know, from old men. Right? That does, just to claim some survivor that does benefits. read differently when you forget the period. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, they like to hang out at, you know, some older places find their husbands and they die and they get their survivor benefits. Okay. That's a strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what? She's taking an ex-spouse's or a de- deceased spouse survivor benefit. Yeah. And so it, this gets a little complicated and I don't have that much time. Um, but when she turns to her full retirement age, she can switch to the spousal benefit, which would be 50% of her current husband's benefit. But I would imagine that the survivor benefit would probably be higher than 50%. So can she stay with that? Yeah. Okay. But she remarried, so she must have remarried after her age 60. Yeah, that's what I'm guessing, too. Because before, if you remarried, you didn't get the survivor benefit, but then people didn't want um, um, people living in sin. So they said, get married, it's okay, and you can still have the survivor benefit of a deceased spouse. So hopefully that works, Susan. Yeah, you're a lot smarter than your husband because you went to my two-day class and you listened to this podcast, just like everyone else is a lot smarter. We got James writes in from Vegas, Las Vegas. So it's James for L, excuse me, Jimbo for Joe. That's because, you know, you're younger. So you're proper, and I like to call people... Yeah. Jimbo. Right. I love Jimbo. Yeah. I should start calling you Joey. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> that went over like a lead yeah. balloon. <laughs> um, Which means I'll start doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I would party with Jimbo in Vegas. Yeah. Where, where are you going this weekend? Oh, where do you think? I'm going to hang out with Jimbo. Yeah, and I would, party, I would party with James. Yeah. You guys would split yeah. a beer. Yeah. 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 We'd no. have to split our time because no. we, if we were together, we wouldn't know what to call him. Yeah. Right. You and James would be going to like the Hoover Dam. <laughs> Jimbo and I would be going to some strip clubs. I, yeah, I was not even going to ask, but I, now I know. <laughs> We're going to go to a museum. <laughs> yes, at, and at, I'm going to go to the casino. Yeah. All right. Um, hi, Joe, Big Allen team. Love your podcast. Found them late last year. All right, cool. Thank you for your efforts and your service. I live in Las Vegas, Nevada. I will retire from local government in four years. We... My best half and I will retire in 2024. We then will draw a pension of $100,000 a year. Wow, Jimbo. That's great. We have saved $950,000 in our 457 pre-tax plan, and we have $250,000 each in IRAs. All right. And another $200,000 in a non-qualified or trading account is what Jimbo calls it. Uh, Best half. Yeah. His wife, Jim Bett. Jimbo. Jimbo's Jimbo's wife is... All right. I should say James. (laughs) Jill. Or what? uh, what, Okay. (laughs) Best half does not have earned income for the last 30 years. We have maxed out all savings for retirement each year. Starting this year, I will only make Roth contributions for 26K at work and 14K total for wife and I. I have $8,000 in an HSA. 
or before tax income is $138,000. Uh, we will get hammered by tax at 72 for RMDs. We will start converting IRAs to Roth in 2019. Plan is to go to the top of the 22% tax bracket each year with twenty five dollars to $50,000 conversion to Roth. These accounts have been set up at Schwab. Uh, best half will get $200 a month in Social Security benefit at full retirement age 67. I will uh, be earned a benefit of 1400 but he gets the windfall elimination uh, because of his big pension and will get $800 um, at full retirement age. Okay, so I like your plan so far, Jimbo. He's got, let's see, million um, and a half, roughly, in retirement accounts. He's going to have $100,000 a year in pension. Uh, he's got another 200000 outside. He's going to still contribute for another couple years, totally into the Roth, so he doesn't have to worry about requiring minimum distributions at age 72. Um, he's going to have a little bit lower Social Security benefit, about $800 a month at full retirement age. His wife uh, will get half of that, roughly about $400,000 a month. Um, $400 a month. Yeah, for what did I say, 400000 Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a heck of a Social uh, Security no, no, benefit. No, Jimbo's got, got the in at Social Security. <laughs> he's worked for government for yeah, years. Yeah, he wrote a letter and said, my wife needs to get $400,000 a year from Social Security. <laughs> Uh, all right, so Social Security plan. Here's his plan okay. now. All right. All right, best half is now 58 on 56. Best half claims benefit at 62 for $150 per month. This goes to fund to pay taxes on Roth conversion. I file at 65 for a benefit of $700 a month. Okay? Fund tax bill. Best half then files at 67 for half my benefit, which should be $700 a month. Assuming she can get half of the pre-windfall cut amount, and I have to file before she can collect on my record. Do not need survivor benefit. She will get the $100,000 uh, pension when I cash out. I like how he says that. <laughs> I mean, he's from Vegas for sure. Right. You right. know, here, let me uh, color out. <laughs> there's, there's lots. Of, I haven't heard that. That's a good way to say it, though. Uh, uh, that means death. Um, yes. I think this is the best way to maximize our total payments, uh, both combined. Uh, we use the money to fund Roth conversions to complete. What did I miss? Cost of living today is 50 k per year. No payments now. We'll move to Wyoming for lower cost and taxes by 15% retirement. Thank you, Jimbo. Uh, Jimbo, I love the plan. I love the fact you're taking care of Mrs. Jimbo. Um, when you cash out, but you're, you're missing something in your calculation in Social Security. Do you uh, see the problem in his thought process, Alan? Uh, I think so, but you're going to explain it better than me. All right, so w what Jim is thinking is that, all right, wife is going to claim right away at 62, and then he's going to wait, claim at full retirement age, and then she's going to switch to the spousal benefit once he claims at full retirement age because you can't file a spousal benefit Unless the spouse is claiming their benefit. Correct. And so he's like, yeah, she'll get a little bit, and then once I turn my benefit on, she'll switch to the spousal. Um, it doesn't work that way, Jimbo. My, uh, my apologies. Is that it's something that's called deemed, a deemed benefit. Once your wife claims her benefit, right, it's going to be a reduced benefit because she claimed it at age 62, once you do claim your benefit at age 67, she will receive a spousal benefit, but it's not going to be the full 50% of the benefit. It's going to be reduced because she's already taken a reduction in the overall benefit. 
So she would have had to wait until full retirement age to not have a reduction. You got it. She would have had to wait until she has to wait until her full retirement age to claim the spousal benefit to get half the benefit. I know you're not talking about a lot of money here because there's the 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 windfall elimination. Uh, because it reduces the benefit quite a bit because of your large pension. Uh, but you're saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to get a couple hundred bucks. It's going to help to pay my taxes. So let's ha- have her claim as soon as possible. Have a couple of extra bucks. You'll pay some taxes on conversions. I'll claim mine. You know, And we'll get this tax strategy dialed in with the help of the government to help pay that tax bill. Um, it's not going to be as slick as you think. You So if she does claim at 62, that's great. You'll have those couple extra bucks, but she's not going to get the full spousal benefit because she's already claimed the benefit. Now, what about this? So she she could start claiming at her full retirement age, and then when he does start claiming, then at that point, then... Correct. Then... Uh, she could switch. When, in other words, when he gets to his full retirement age, starts claiming the benefits, then she can switch to the higher amount, and then basically she got two years of free payments. Sure. Yeah. So um, just be careful with that. There's a lot of times. There's a lot of strategies or trying to game the system. Um, I would say over the last ten years, the Social Security Administration has kind of closed a lot of the they, loopholes they and have, changed things. They? And, yeah. Um, so I, I like the thought process. Uh, but it, in this case, it's just not uh, going to get you, um, I guess, the, the, the biggest bang for your buck as you thought. So hopefully we can still party in uh, Vegas, though, Jimbo. It, well, or, or Wyoming when they move there. I would rather go to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Well, you could ride, probably horseback riding, probably. Oh, sure. Cheyenne. You could do that with a James. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. Well, you go horseback riding with James. And I you know go you partying like. with Jimbo. <laughs> All right. Whether you want to go to museums or go horseback riding, or if you plan to party in retirement, maximizing your Social Security benefit is important. That's going to help you pay for those retirement plans. The Social Security Handbook walks you through everything you need to know. How the benefits are calculated. The difference between collecting early and collecting late. Working while taking Social Security. The rules around spousal, survivor, and divorced benefits. And the all-important taxation of your Social Security benefits. Click the link in the description of this episode in your podcast app to visit the show notes and download the Social Security Handbook. Yours free from Joe and Big Al and your money, your wealth. Oh, and by the way, for Bill and the others wondering, Medicare Part B premiums are indeed different for filing your taxes joint versus separate, and you can find out more about that in the podcast show notes as well. Uh, We got Robert calling from Rhode Island. Hi, I'm 71 years old. I have a 401k from a company that I'm still working for. I'm wondering if I can move some of my 401k money to a traditional IRA in order to contribute to my church without being taxed. I used to take my church contributions as a deduction on my taxes, but I no longer make sense. Uh, well, it no longer makes sense for, for Robert to itemize uh, because of the new tax law. <clears throat> so he's looking to do a... A qualified charitable distribution. Q- yes. QCD. QCD. Yeah, um, Robert, if you're 71 years of age, so you got to be... Well, um, you have to be 70 and a half. I don't think they changed the QCD rule, just the RMD rule. Okay, but two things here, though. Yeah. Right? You take money out of a 401k plan into an IRA, you're going to be subject to an RMD. Since you are 71 years of age, you're going to be required to take a distribution from the IRA because you are already 71. 
Yeah, that's because true. now seventy two is is the age. Unless you own more than five percent of the company. Correct, but his money's in a four hundred one k plan where he doesn't have to take an RMD. Yeah. Nevertheless, if he wants to contribute to his church and. I'm he sick. wants to put the money in the IRA and do a QCD. No, I understand. But if the money goes into an IRA, he's going to have to take an RMD because he's over 70 and a half before he can take the, uh, the QCD. I know, but, here's, but he can use the QCD as part of his RMD. Right. So here's here's all I'm suggesting is maybe he wants to give 5000 to his church, whatever the number is. So you do a $5,000 in-service withdrawal to the IRA, and now you've got that in the IRA. Now you can do a QCD on that. Got it. That's what I would do. So you would can uh, I, I would you 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 wouldn't you want, would do it all is I, I, I guess the I point. would not do it all because you're right then you'd have to do a required minimum distribution at age seventy two. No, you'd have to do it at seventy and a half because he's seventy one years of age. Oh yeah, he already he already hit it. Yeah, yeah. yeah look at you. Yeah, right? He's already in. You're tight. I know. Okay, we got a follow up from Michael from Ohio. Okay. Is the blue your writing? Yes. So we don't have to read that again, or do we? It's there for your reference because he actually asked a question, oh, great one. Oh, is that what he calls me? Yes. Okay. Got it. Only you. Well, so I don't have to answer this one. <laughs> Except Mike? it is a tax question. I'm going to take a coffee break. All right. So well, well, Michael goes, thank you for your answer, but in my case, if I had a sub S corp, which I could create income on paper, then I would be able to deduct contributions way past 72 I'd pay Social Security and taxes and enjoy a double contribution tax deductible for me and my wife. So Michael is committing fraud, it sounds like to me. <laughs> because in case if I had a subchapter S, so he's got a little business going on. Sure. Which I could create income. How do you create income? Is uh, he going to be paper. working, do you think? Uh, you, you have your kids pay you. A He's bit. creating income on paper. Yes. Right. <laughs> so to, that means to me, there's a little bit of hocus pocus going on. He he may not call you the great one anymore. Well, after this, <laughs> I'm just being honest. <laughs> hey, Joe. Oh, great one! <laughs> I got this great scam. What do you think? I'm gonna just make believe I'm making income. Yeah, I'll pay Social Security tax on that, whatever, but I can do a IRA contribution and take that deduction for me and my wife all day long. Yeah. So that it is. It doesn't that, make any sense to do it. Well, because you're paying Social Security or, or, or you're paying self employment tax and then you're getting a deduction on ordinary income. Right. Yeah. So the I guess maybe another way to say that the strategy is fine. Just make sure the income's real, don't make it up. Is that a good, better way to say it? It's not as fun. <laughs> I have had this exact question before from more than one of our clients. Well, I could just, you know, have my my son pay me. It'll look like income. I'll do a I'll do a Roth contribution, right? Yeah. Well, I, I got this. You know, I got the Shell LLC. Right. What What do you think? Should I put it to work? Yeah. I'm like, how do you put the company to work? No, you work for the company. I got you know a couple shells. Maybe we can move some stuff around. And what right. do you think? Tax wise, is that a pretty good idea? <laughs> no, it's stupid. <laughs> okay, Jay from Chicago. Hi, Andy, Joe, and Al. Thanks for the very okay show. I sometimes learn something. <laughs> I agree with you. Yeah, it's, it's marginal at times. It's awful, pretty much most of the time. <laughs> 
Could we listen to our own show? Absolutely not. Yeah, that'd be tough. I've listened to it maybe <laughs> once, and I was like, wow, Andy's pretty good. Big Al's she- marginal, and I'm just a train wreck. <laughs> Um, I own a martial arts school in Chicago. I'm in the process of buying a house and plan to convert the three-car garage into a gym for private lessons and small group classes. What is the tax play here? What I deduct as home office, or should I lease the space to my business and pay myself rent or something else? Interesting there, Jay. Because keep on the mediocre work. I kid. It's a great show. Thanks for everything. <laughs> oh, it, really? It's actually better than mediocre? Yeah. Well, this is a pretty cool question. He's kind of sophisticated there. Yeah. From so, Chi-Town. So he's got right? a little martial arts. He's going to kick yeah. your ass, Cobra Kai. I know. And he's got a three-car garage. Good for you. Uh, but he wants to convert that into a martial arts school. Which I wonder is, what which his wife great. thinks about that. Yeah. Well... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good I don't question. know if she's married or not. Yeah, that we, we was, don't that, know. That was something. But so, what's the tax play here? So, so yeah, there are, I guess, it, a couple choices. I mean, it's it's you. It, it depends, I guess, if you if you have a sole proprietorship or an S corporation, for example. If it's an S corporation, then you probably want to um, lease it to your S corporation, and and there's things you can do in terms of increasing the rent or decreasing the rents, depending upon what your goals are. Right, but uh, in terms of if it's if it's a sole proprietorship, it doesn't really matter. You get the home office deduction or rent it uh, to and from yourself with income and deduction cancel each other out. It's it's not that big a deal. All right, Jay. Um, hey, thanks. We'll keep up the mediocre work. Your money, your wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the free assessment button at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and sign up for a free two-meeting assessment with a certified financial planner from Pure. If you're in Southern California, we've got offices in Los Angeles, San Diego, Brea, and Irvine. And if you're outside of Southern California, your free assessment can even be done via video web meeting. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that this Securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.